I want to thank Scott and the band for leading us in that time of praise. We, as City Church, believe in the power of praise. Uh, the scriptures say that when we give praise to God, it's one of the ways that we bless Him. Normally, we think about blessing coming our way, right? But did you know there's actually a way we get to bless God? And it's an amazing thing, actually, to think about. Through praise and through lifting up prayers, we bless God. And we believe in the power of praise and prayer so much that once a month, we set aside an entire evening, and that's all we do. We pray and praise. It's called a Revive. The next one's coming up in a couple of Thursdays. We do it on the third Thursday right now uh, at 7 o'clock in the Video Cafe. And I think if you'll join us, you'll be blessed. Now, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to attend a dinner celebrating the conclusion of our 16-week re-engage marriage program. And after we had dinner, uh, the, some of the couples got up and shared stories of how that program had impacted their lives. And it was actually very refreshing <coughs> hearing couples like getting really honest about some of the challenges they were facing because, you know, some of them admitted at that point in their journey, uh, their marriage was a bit of a mess. And some, frankly, admitted that they were not sure that they were going to make it. Angry fighting, passive-aggressive distance, uh, infidelity. One couple even admitted that they had separated, they had already filed for divorce and signed the papers. But each of those couples gave God a chance to make something beautiful out of the mess. And it was so inspiring just to hear them be honest about where they were and how they had made a turn and that they were heading down a new road, a new path where they could actually have hope that their marriage could become a masterpiece. And as their pastor, I was just so proud of them because the hardest part when you're having problems is to admit it and do something to face it. How many of you know you can't fix problems you don't face? And what they needed was a safe community where they could get real about what they were really going through. And they didn't make that turn alone. They needed people to help them. They needed volunteers who came alongside them. They needed some pastors who would come alongside them and not judge them because we all have problems at times. They needed someone who would love them and would walk with them through this stormy season. Nobody becomes a masterpiece alone. We need each other. And there are people all around us in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities who are struggling with problems, with relational problems, financial problems, emotional problems, maybe even addictions. And City Church exists to be a safe community of grace where people can face and fix their problems. But we don't do that alone. And so it's why Paul, it's why we're doing this series this uh, summer. We're setting this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians because he cast vision for us to believe who we are in Christ, that we are masterpieces. So this is how he's put it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's masterpiece. And you are not just any masterpiece. You are God's greatest masterpiece, his magnum opus. That is who you are. And y'all are also God's masterpiece. God is uniting y'all together 
to be his body, to represent him on this earth, to form one new humanity so that we can make our world a better place. Now, in the first part of Paul's letter, he was very focused on inspiring us to believe who we are in Christ. Because what you believe about who you are impacts who you become. You believe and become, believe and become, believe and become. And so Paul has focused us on really grasping who we are in Christ. We are masterpieces. We are chosen. We are loved. We are secure children of God. But now in the second part of his letter, he transitions to talk to us about how to live in, spite, in, in light of who you are. So this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's pretty awesome. We are God's masterpieces. That's the way God sees us. And Paul calls us then as masterpieces to live a worthy life. So what does he mean by that? He doesn't mean like, you know, you're really not very worthy. If you would just get your act together... You might be worthy enough of God. You might be worthy enough of, of his love. You're just pathetic. Get your act together and be worthy. That's not what he's saying. It's the opposite. I mean, remember, he spent the whole first part of his letter trying to build us up to believe we are masterpieces. If you have faith in Christ, you are worthy. You're not worthy because of what you do and don't do. You're worthy because of him. Because of your faith in him, you are a child of God and you are a masterpiece. So then what is Paul talking about here, here when he says live a life worthy? He's talking about live, living a life that is worthy of the masterpiece you are. You already are a masterpiece. So now live like it. Speak like you're a masterpiece. Love like you're a masterpiece. Paul is inspiring us to become the masterpieces that God sees in us. But if you notice in this passage... He's suggesting we don't do that alone. We need each other. Nobody becomes the masterpiece God sees in them alone. And he pictures us coming together to help each other live worthy lives. And he pictures it as a body. One body being united together, helping each other live worthy lives. Because we all need help. Let's just admit it. And did you notice how many times Paul used the word one in that little part of his letter? I counted seven times. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. I think Paul wants us to get this oneness thing. Being one body is critical to live a life worthy of the masterpieces we are. And if you notice, he gave two key characteristics to being one. What it takes for a diverse people who have different backgrounds, right? Different life experiences. How do we become one? First, he says, be completely humble. Now, sometimes humility is a misunderstood characteristic because some people think that being humble means you have to think of yourself in a very low way and sort of put yourself down and look down on yourself. And that's not humility. I mean, remember, he's pumping you up to believe you're a masterpiece. 
Real humility doesn't put yourself down or look down on yourself. Real humility is when you recognize your own intrinsic worth and when you see intrinsic worth in others. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, a humble person does not think less of himself. He thinks of himself less. You see, humble people recognize their own worth, but they see the worth in others. And so humble, humble people look to build up others, not just themselves. Humble people look to compliment others, and they can receive a compliment. Humble people think about others. They don't just spend all their time thinking about themselves. And I found that humble people can look beyond the mess in someone's life and see the masterpiece in them. But to be humble, and I know this sounds counterintuitive, you do have to believe that you are a masterpiece. Because it's out of this profound and secure sense of self that you have the inner strength to treat others with humility. Because how many of you know you can't value others if you don't value yourself? You are worthy. You're a masterpiece. So live like it. Speak like it. Love like it. And then the second characteristic Paul said is to bear with one another in love. And isn't that the way God loves us? I mean, come on. How many of you has God had to bear with you a while? Right? In life? Okay. I'm, me too. That's the way God loves us. And he asks us to love others, others that way. And that takes radical love. Radical love loves others as they are, not as they ought to be. Radical love means looking to help others, even when we don't feel like it. And radical love means being kind and civil to others, even when they don't agree with us and don't believe what we believe. Now, I'm deeply concerned by the hostility I see in our culture. Political and social hostility and I want to say something about it. I, I think there's very intelligent people on all sides of these issues who genuinely disagree. And that's okay. That's a part of what makes America great. What I'm concerned about is people are disagreeing disagreeably. And that's not good. It is not good when we don't bear with one another in love. It is not good when we don't treat each other with humility. And so the, a few weeks ago, I, I saw a movie. And as I was think, meditating on this, I thought of this movie. The movie is called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's a documentary. It's awesome, man. It's a documentary of the amazingly humble and loving life of Mr. Fred Rogers. Now, Mr. Rogers was passionate about teaching children to treat people right no matter what. And as an ordained Presbyterian minister, I don't know if you knew that, as an ordained Presbyterian minister, his mission in life was to teach children the way of love, the way of empathy, the way of civility. And you know, watching that movie about his life, it made me proud to be a follower of Christ. It's like Mr. Rogers, baby. I want to live in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. <laughs> and from the very beginning, City Church has been different about the way we relate to our diverse culture. Because we don't always agree with everything in our culture, but we, we intentionally relate to our culture in a different kind of way. It's a part of our free grace theology. And this is what I mean by that. Some of us grew up in churches that were antagonistic toward our culture. 
Well, if the culture doesn't agree with us, then we're against them, and it's, it's us versus them, and there's this antagonistic posture that doesn't help anything. And I want you to know, City Church is not like that. We believe God calls us to love people even when they don't agree with us. We believe that Christ wants us to be humble with people, especially those who don't believe what we believe. And we will be civil to other people and kind to other people in person and on social media. That's right. So if you have City Church listed on your social media, you know, your statusy thing, I'm watching. <laughs> We're going to be humble. We're going to be loving. We're going to be kind because that's who we are. Masterpieces act that way. Masterpieces speak that way. Masterpieces love that way. We are God's masterpiece. And with this kind of complete humility and radical love, we will become one body. And we will help each other live lives worthy of the masterpieces we are. Well, so how does that happen? How do you get a bunch of diverse people to come together and help each other live worthy lives? Well, he continues. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives, and notice this, and gave gifts to his people. So Christ gave, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So how does this happen? First of all, Paul says that to each one of us, grace has been given, every one of us. And if you remember throughout this series, we've talked about this uh, abundant buffet of grace that God has offered us. And God gives us so much grace because it's not all for us. We're supposed to take a part of the grace we receive and pour it out on others. That's how this grace thing works. And then here he mentions a very specific kind of grace, which are grace gifts. Those are the unique talents and abilities he gives to every one of us in spiritual gifts that he intends for us to use to serve other people so we build each other up and we help each other live worthy lives. We help each other become the masterpieces God sees in us. And notice he wrote that Christ gave prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Christ did not give the local church pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets to do all the works of service. I do have the works I'm supposed to do, but that's not my main role. My main role is to equip you to do works of service. And here's the cool part. As you become equipped to do those works of service, that is a part of what makes your life a masterpiece. And when you do those works of service, it, it becomes a catalyst for your own spiritual growth. Because I found in my own spiritual journey, I grow the most when I'm like taking a step of faith and, and risking getting out there and serving people. Because let's be honest, there's some people that are messy. And when you rub shoulders with messy people, it can get messy. But that's the risk of faith. And that is how we grow together. And something that's interesting there is that Greek word translated equip, like I'm supposed to equip you. The Greek word translated there is a word picture. And it's used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe the mending of torn nets. 
and the resetting of broken bones. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of what the church ought to be. The church ought to be a community where torn people, where broken people can become the masterpieces that God sees in them. And that's what City Church seeks to be. Church is not a perfect community for perfect people. Church is a messy community for torn and broken people, where we can be healed up and built up as the body of Christ. But there's a reason why Christ wants us healed up and built up, because he has a purpose for us, because there's people out there that are struggling. Notice what he says, this is uh, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind. There's people out there just being tossed by the waves and the wind. Of every teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Christ wants us healed up and built up as the body to help each other and to help our community when people come into those seasons where they're being tossed by the winds and the waves of life. And, and something Paul shows here is that what you believe in, influences the way you experience the turbulent, the turbulent seasons in life. Truth matters. That's why he kept saying, we are going to speak the truth to each other in love. Truth keeps you focused. Truth keeps your, your head up and your eyes up when you're going through a stormy season because what you look to determines where you're going to. Now, I grew up here in San Antonio, and back when I was a kid, Holotus was way out in the middle of nowhere. And my grandparents had a ranch out there, and when I would go out to their ranch, we would ride dirt bikes. And so I grew up riding uh, dirt bike motorcycles, Yamaha Enduros, and it was a blast chasing after things and running over things. Uh, but then I grew up and I became a man. And I got me a man bike. Uh, when I was a pastor in Virginia, I got me a Yamaha Virago. And uh, I had never driven a street bike on the street, so I really didn't know anything about it. And fortunately in Virginia, they make you take a class if you're going to get a motorcycle license. So I went to my motorcycle class and I'm thinking, shoot, man, I've been riding motorcycles my whole life. I don't need this class. But the first lesson he talked to us about, I, I knew I needed to listen up. He, he talked to us about where you look when you're riding fast on a motorcycle. Because he said, when, you, when, you, when the speed picks up and you come to a curve, when you're, when you're a new rider, and if you get a little bit nervous, your tendency is to look down right ahead of you. And where you look determines where you're going to. And so this is what he taught us. If you look down, you'll go down. But if you look up, you'll stay up. If you look down, you'll go down. If you look up, you'll stay up. And here Paul is teaching us the principle of looking up, looking straight up and ahead to Jesus and his teachings, his truths that will help us when we go through stormy times in life. Because the truth matters. The truth, Jesus' truths, is a part of what heals us up. It's a part of what builds us up and his truths will set us free. And together... As we get healed up and built up as the body of Christ, 
We can come alongside each other and people in our community when they go through the winds and waves of storminess in life. Have you ever been controlled by the wind and the waves? Back when I was a pastor in Virginia, one of my responsibilities was to serve our students. And so every summer I took our students, students to camp in Panama City Beach, Florida. And it was great. We had our sessions in the morning and then we had our sessions at night that none of the kids liked. And then in the middle of the day, we, we played on the beach. And so it was awesome. Well, anyway, on the first day every year, the lifeguards would get all the students and sponsors on the beach and teach us the flag warning signs. Uh, flag warning symbols, I guess. And so if, if the flag was green, it meant everything was great. There were no dangerous currents. If the flag was yellow, it meant you needed to be a little bit careful because there were some dangerous currents. And then if it was red, that was serious. That means there were dangerous currents and you needed to probably get out of the water. And so in that part of Florida, they just had a lot, lot more you know, issues with dangerous currents. So anyway, we were enjoying the week. And one afternoon when we went to the beach, the yellow flag was up. And so we saw, we had, okay, and so we were having fun in the water, and I could see on the third sandbar out there, I could see out there the waves were really big. And they didn't always turn over, but man, when they turned over, yeah, baby, I wanted some of that. And so uh, I decided to swim out to the third sandbar, and it was a little bit hard to get out there, because you know, you swim out, and the waves would bring you in, you swim out. Finally got out there, and a few of my older students who were on the swim team joined me out there. And we were having a good time. I, I did notice that whenever a swell came and did not break, you lost your footing and, and you didn't necessarily land where there was footing and so you had to keep finding the sandbar. Anyway, one of my sponsors named Ken was trying to come out to join us. He was in his mid-40s at the time and he was swimming and swimming, coming out to us and we were out there having a good time. And when he got about 10 or 12 feet from me, his face turned white. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think I'm going to make it. And so I swam over to Ken and I, I put my arm under his arm and I, I kept him floating. And when I put my arm under his arm, his body went limp. And so some of the students who were also lifeguards came over and they, they took turns taking his other arm and we started swimming back to shore. But we would swim in about three or four yards and then the, the current would bring us back out and we would swim in and it would bring us back. And of course, now looking back, I realized we were in a riptide. But you know, when you're in the middle of it, you're not always thinking straight. You're just trying to get back to shore. Anyway, we, we swam and we swam and we swam. It took us about 15 minutes to get him back to the, the beach. And when we brought him up to the beach, he collapsed on the sand. And when I looked up, the red flag was going up. We found out that Ken had had a heart attack. And if we had not been there to lift him up, he would not have made it. And when I was meditating on Paul's metaphor of the winds and the waves tossing us about, I saw Ken's face. I saw the panic in his eyes. I remember the desperation in his voice. And it made me think that there are people all around us who are feeling fear, they're feeling desperate, they're feeling panic, and they don't know if they're gonna make it. And we're supposed to be healed up and built up as the body of Christ, ready to put our arms under their arms to lift them up and help them make it. And so this is what I'm asking of you as we seek to become the body of Christ. I am asking you to get here. I'm asking you to get here so we can 
help heal you up. Get here so we can build you up. Get here so we can stir up the grace gifts that are already in you. That's how we become the body of Christ. And, and please don't misunderstand me. Because I know, you know, some of us grew up in churches where you're, you were made to feel guilty if you weren't there every time the door is open. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am asking in the regular flow of your life, if you're not on vacation or sick, get here. And I'll do the very best to make sure that the services and programs that we provide here heal you up and build you up and stir up grace gifts in you so we can unleash you to be the body of Christ in our community and in your home. Second thing I'm asking, I'm asking for you to courageously connect because as Paul's metaphor pictures, Nobody becomes a masterpiece alone. We, we have to be united as a body. We can't just have a bunch of different parts going out doing their own thing. We, we need to be united together. And we, part of the way we do that is we courageously connect. And so I'm, I'm asking, is, my goal this year is to get everybody connected to somebody. Like where you really know somebody. Not when you're sitting in a room with somebody, but where you know somebody. And so I'm asking you to keep on flying until you find your flock. And by that I mean keep taking the initiative to courageously connect until you find those three to five people who will come alongside you and lift you up when you're being tossed by the waves or where you can come along and help them when they're being tossed by the waves. It's a critical part of us being the body of Christ, to be there for each other. And then finally, I am asking you to passionately serve. Find those works of service, those unique good works that God prepared in advance for you to do that only you can do, and then do them with passion. Because according to Paul, y'all are the body of Christ. Whatever Christ is going to do on the earth, he's going to do through y'all. Y'all are the body of Christ, so be the body. It's that significant. You know what, what I didn't tell you in the story about Ken earlier is shortly after we finished that trip, you know, he was in the hospital and had procedures and stuff. I moved here to take my role here at City Church. And so we didn't really get to talk a lot after uh, his heart attack. Well, anyway, a few years ago, he and his wife, Vani were coming to San Antonio on vacation and he called and asked if he could take me out for dinner. And I was like, sure. And so I picked a real expensive place on the Riverwalk. <laughs> I'm smart, man. And so anyway, we, we hugged each other and we, we sat down. And as soon as we sat down, he looked at me and said, Brent, you know you saved my life. And you know, when, when, when something like that happens, you don't really think about what's going on. You're just reacting, you know, and trying to do your best to help a friend that you love. And I just, I keep thinking there are people all around us like Ken, not in the water, but in the waves of life, who need us? I think about those couples that I, I heard their stories a few weeks ago, and they needed us to come alongside them and lift them up. I, there was one husband in particular that night, who, and it was so refreshing to hear a man get up and just admit he had problems in front of a room full of people. And he talked about how their marriage had made a turn and how things weren't perfect, but now they had the tools they needed to make something beautiful out of their marriage. And it was so inspiring. And then he looked over at me and he had a tear in his eye. And he said, thank you for your church. He was thanking me for y'all. 
Y'all are the body of Christ. Be the body of Christ. Lift up people who are in need. And let's make this world a better place. Now, I want to close uh, our service by praying together. And I want to do something different. If, if you're new to church or new to City Church, we don't normally do this. But I think this is significant. I want us to do this. So I'm going to ask if everybody would stand, everybody in the video cafe, if you would stand too. And I want us to join hands together. So uh, fill in the spaces in your aisle. Let's join hands together. Nobody has cooties here. Everybody's fine. <laughs> and in the joining of hands, I want it to symbolize that we are one, that we are united together as the body of Christ, and that we will be there for each other in times of need. And if, if you're new and, and you've not really begun this journey of being the body of Christ, the way you begin that is by putting your trust in Jesus. It's his body. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, as we begin our prayer, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith. And so you can begin today. So let's pray together. And if you're ready to, to put your trust in Jesus, maybe just whisper this prayer as I lead you through it. God, I believe in you. And I believe that you love me. Thank you. And I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me your child. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, right now I pray for those who are being tossed by the winds and waves and life. I pray that you would give them courage and faith to believe that you are with them, but also the, the faith to believe that we are there with them too, that we are your body. We are here to help. All they have to do is ask, and we will come alongside them. And then, Lord, I ask that you would stir up the grace gifts within us and give us a vision and a passion for who you've called us to be, that we would live masterpiece kinds of lives, worthy of who we really are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.